everyone, Brian from All Day Rock Off here, and today's podcast is with THR, aka Tokyo Hikiyaku Rockers. I was really excited to have this call with them. I've had a ton of fun talking to rock clubs within the United States, and it's just been a blast talking to additional rock clubs outside of the United States. They go through a lot of things that are different than USA-based rock clubs do, and their events are different. I really appreciate THR taking the time for this call because there's a pretty major time difference between where I'm located in Seattle and where they're located. I really hope you enjoyed this call with THR. We get into how their club came to be, the events they run, what they've got coming up for this year, how their training works. It was just a really fun interview, and I'm so glad they joined me on the All Day Rock Off podcast, episode number 119. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. Thank you so much for all of those support. It's truly appreciated. Again, had a ton of fun talking with THR. And here is the interview. Today, I'm talking with Jess and Rebecca. I'm really, really excited to have them on. They're from the THR Rock Club. How are you doing today? Yeah, very well, thanks. And appreciate being on the show. Um, so yeah, we represent the Tokyo Hikyaku Rockers. Um, and uh, it's a group we, we created a, a couple of years ago and has uh, it's been, well, wonderful ever since. Thank you again for uh, pronouncing that for me. I butchered the uh, Hikyaku a number of times leading oh, up to this. So. <laughs> there you go. I'll just edit that in and we'll be safe. There you go. Yeah, yeah there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so you mentioned that you started THR a number of years ago. You know, what spurred the formation of the Rut Club? So it's actually, it's, it's an... I don't know if it's an interesting story, but it's a bit of a long story, and I'll do the best I can to give you the abridged version. Um, but uh, we did our first event uh, ever in Tokyo in 2013, um, and after completing the event, um, we had, at, at the time anyway, I think, decided that we certainly wanted to do more, um, but Go Ruck never made it back to Japan. Um, and so purely by happenstance, three years later, um, we were in the U.S. for vacation, um, and we were actually uh, planning on being in New Orleans. And I'm not entirely sure how we determined while we were going to be in New Orleans that Go Ruck was holding its second annual reunion there. Um, but ultimately, we decided, well, if we're going to be there and it's something we, we miss doing, let's, let's consider going back and, and participating again. Anyway, so we did the event. It was an overnight event um, with... 200 and something of our closest friends. Um, and uh, just after the event concluded, um, sitting around having our ACRT Buds or Buds Light, Bud Lights, I can't remember now, I think it was Budweiser. Um, I approached Jason McCarthy, who was standing uh, not too far away from me. And I walked up to him and I introduced myself and I said, Look, you know, uh, just by happenstance, we happen to be here. Um, but otherwise, we really don't have access to Go Rock events anymore. You came to Tokyo years ago, and we haven't seen you since. What do we do about that? And he effectively said, "Look, it's not an economical proposition for us to continue to coming back, coming back to Japan right now." Um, you know, I think our, our event had twenty something people, twenty twenty two something people. Yeah. I don't know if it was that anyway. Um, and 
He said, in order for you to to get us to come back, you're going to have to prove to us that it's a viable solution from an economic perspective for us to be able to do that. And I said, sure, that's fine. Right. Okay. Custom event. Got it. And we walked away and said, well, that's the last time we're ever really going to experience <laughs> go rock again. Because uh, I certainly didn't have it in me to plan all of this and, you know, whatnot. So we said, well, okay, that's it. It was fun. And uh, we've got the rock and the patch to show for it. And we'll move on and do something else. So uh, that night um, we went out to dinner. It was Rebecca's, well, it was your 40th birthday. Um, it was coming up on your 40th birthday, rather. And so we were celebrating with her family before we went back to Japan. And the next morning, sitting at Norland's airport at 6.30 or ungodly hour of the morning, um, Rebecca said to me, uh, you know, we could go away and do something for my 40th birthday, or we could host an event in Japan. And um, I looked at her a little bit sideways because we had quite a bit drink the night before. Um and we had agreed that we weren't going to participate in something like that again. Um, but ultimately, that's what she wanted for her 40th birthday. And that's effectively how the Ruck Club started. We put a group together of about 30 people for her birthday uh, in 2016. Of that group, I think one came back, maybe two. <laughs> um, and so uh, the beginning and the end of the Ruck Club happened inside of three months training for one event. Um, but to make a very long story short, um, we started relying on the few people who did come back and working on trainings together each weekend. And then we train a little bit more together throughout the week. And then we'd pull in a couple more friends and colleagues and whatnot. And we went from, uh, roughly, uh, five, six people, I guess, that started the founding, the founders of the club in 2016, to today where we rank uh, at roughly 350 members. Mm. Now, not all of them are as active as I think they would like or we would like, um, but uh, the, the club is ultimately, uh, I would say, extremely active. We train together every weekend. Uh, we have 10 events a year in Japan. There's been quite a progression with, with the club and we're very happy to see uh, how all of this has progressed thus far. That is quite the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, quite the way to form a rock club. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what, what we really did is we used, so we had, to, we had to stick with custom events probably for the first year and a half. Year and a half, almost two years. Almost two years before we started getting events from Go Rock, um, which it was good because we used those to get people to come to training. And so we ha would have a six-week training course or an eight-week training course um, centered around events. And that really worked to get people to training and get people to events and our events. Um, even though they were custom, I mean, we, we had no problem filling, um, a custom event. I think we did our first two cadre event, um, the year, the, the summer after my 40th for Jesse's 40th. Yeah. Um, and we went with two cadre because we had the numbers. So within less than a year, um, we were able to get, 70 people at an event well and since that event uh i think virtually every tough that we've done um and actually i'm gonna have to think through that but i'm not sure that we've had any events since then that have not been too cadre i think we have oversold every event in the last two years um and so now because of that go rocket has come back to us with some standing events now um, and we've got quite the calendar for next year as well you do. I was looking into that. Are you jealous? Yeah. Come yeah. on out to Tokyo. 
We got a heavy again next year. <laughs> we have a heavy. We've got a star course in beautiful Kyoto. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got uh, a series of other events as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a real terrific year next year. Absolutely. So before we jump into next year, I would love to talk about 2013, your first event. How did you even find you know, or learn about GORUCK and, and get signed up for that first event? It was our friend, one of our friends, Adam, who no longer participates in GORUCK. Um, he found the event online somehow, and he came to both of us and said, hey, there's this really cool event um, coming back to Tokyo. It's kind of like a Tough Mudder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jess is like, yep, I'm in. And I, I didn't want to not because I figured they were, there was going to be a lot of training involved. So I was like, well, okay, it's a good way to spend time together. So I'm in too. And that's, and we jumped right in and it was a December event. Um, it was cold, not too cold. Yeah, it, was, it, was it was all in Tokyo. Um, we got in the fountain yeah. and nobody knew anything about Gorak. So I felt really bad because after the event, like there was no, there was no real training leading up to it. So, I mean, we were training with like two of our buddies, three of our buddies. That was it. So we didn't really know anyone from the group. Um, and then we got in the fountain <clears throat> at the end of the event and Cadre Tyler was out here for the event. And so we didn't know him. We patched out. Everybody scattered. There was no ACRT. There was no after party. Nobody talked to each other ever again, basically, except their within their own group. So it was, um, I guess we just didn't know what we were doing at the time. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how a lot of people were described events back years ago. It's, you know, it's just kind of like Tough Mudder or Spartan Race. And I'm not sure if that helps or, or hurts because you show up and it's almost nothing like it's that. It's not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have tried to liken it to something like that before, and we stopped doing that a couple of years ago because people get such the wrong impression of what GORUCK is all about. So we changed the the way we've branded the, the program to a military-inspired team endurance challenge, and I think it, that fairly represents what the majority of GORUCK events are all about. Um, but, you know, then we get questions about, well, what is training like? What is the event like? And you know, we, we replicate the events as best we can in our weekly training programs, but you know, we say to them, you're never really truly going to understand what GORUCK is all about until you come to an event and participate. And in order for you to do that, we recommend you come to a training and see what it's all about. And frankly, the good news, at least for us, is the vast majority of people we've invited to the training have come back and are participating in our events. That is good news. Yeah. So... From that first event, that's 2013, 2016, you're in the United States and you just so happen to be in you know, New Orleans when the second GRT reunion is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you, you didn't do an event between those two. After that first event, did you want to do another one and there just you know, weren't any in Tokyo? Or did it take a little bit of time before you're looking for another event and it just so happened to be three years later? I think we each have different opinions on <laughs> this one. Uh, I I actually did an event in between. I did a I was I, I'm from Minneapolis or I guess my family lives in Minneapolis. So I did a light um, before the New Orleans event, and 
I have no idea why I wanted to do it. Um, like after the event, I kind of, I, it's usually one and done with me. So it's like a new endurance challenge or fitness challenge. And then I'm done and I don't need to do it again. But there was something inspired me when I was to, to go back to it. It was probably two years later. Um, and then I started with that light. And then I think I was looking on the calendar for when we were back for that New Orleans trip and found the tough. Um, did you want to do go wreck again after your first one? Yeah, <laughs> I don't actually remember. Um, I think so. Um, I, I will tell you that. So that the night that we finished that our first tough, we came home, we showered, and we went out to a Christmas party that night. And everyone who was at that Christmas party was asking us, you know, what, what is this crazy thing you guys were doing? They had heard we were doing something. Because it's during the day right. here. It In the beginning, they were here during all during the day, um, partly because the military has curfew. Um, so if we wanted any military participants they had to do it during the day. And so anyway, so, you know, in telling people this, it is quite remarkable the kinds of things that you do during these events. It's unlike any other event I think that exists out there. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, 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 I was it's a little totally normal to carry people through Ginza shopping district on your shoulders right? at <laughs> Christmas time. But I, I, I remember being, you know, um, very, I think, very interested in, in doing another event. Um, I don't think I was in a hurry to do another event, um, but it didn't matter, as I said. And uh, Gorak didn't come back for another three years thereafter. So, yeah, I mean, um, I, I certainly was was keen to do something else. Um, but you know, anyway, at the end of the day, I'm really glad that they have made their way back to us. Yeah, and it seems like both of you, you know, were a big part of that because Jason basically said, "Make a." A business case for us to come back and so here you are with your business case and now your 2020 calendar has got a heavy you know a couple tufts a couple lights you have the yep. full star course out there the 50 26.2 the 12 and you have the sprint series yep um and we had uh we had 9 11 uh, last year we had march 11 the commemoration of uh the march 11th earthquakes in 2011 here we got a lot of special events that are happening. Um, we've got a couple of special events that are not fully announced for next year yet that we're still working through. Um, it's We've got quite a following, not just uh, in Japan, but across Asia Pacific as well. So I'm also pleased to see that we got folks who are coming in from Taiwan, from Korea, from Hong Kong, from Singapore for these events as well. We've got folks coming in from southern Japan and Okinawa. Um, it's just been really tremendous to see that now that we've got this engine running that people want to be a part of it um and yes without um jason saying you got to put the business case together for us to do that it didn't we wouldn't have otherwise really had the impetus well the go wouldn't have come back anyway but we wouldn't have otherwise had the impetus to keep pushing forward until rebecca said i want a birthday event and that's really where it all stemmed from yeah and i think the business case is i mean that's an important side of it for us because that's how we started and we really had to buy into, I mean, we literally had to buy in. Um, and we, I, I guess we built, um, we, we tried to make smart decisions based on what our rock club wanted. This was already three years ago. So we, you know, we took feedback, we considered timing, we considered um, how many participants we, we could get um, so that we could deliver events at a cost to them that made sense for everybody that where we knew that we could guarantee participation. So we had to develop that. And I don't think 
even though we don't have to do customs anymore, we still feel, you know, very responsible for making sure that the events are set at the right time, that, you know, the audience is there, um, because it's, it's our, you know, it's our club. Absolutely. So, and we're both business people. So we're used to having to do this, you know, every single day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good mindset to bring to, you know, some of these things, because I mean, it can really, especially those first few events out, out there can really make or break it. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, the, the reason we were willing to take a chance on it is because, I mean, it was like our, it was our birthday parties, essentially the first event. So it was like, well, even if we're not break even on these events, that's my birthday present, essentially. And so that made it a little bit easier, but we didn't have any trouble breaking even for the events at all. So no, not once. That's great to hear. So I, I thought I heard from your birthday event. So the, the rut club, I mean, I, the idea of it kind of came together to train for that birthday event. And then is it one person stayed from that and kept doing events? You know, it, it's one who, who, who definitely stayed. I think there were probably two or three others, but one who's consistent <laughs> and is now uh, participating in, in running training with us. But yeah, I mean, we, we started... I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost like I, I, how I presume a startup company begins. Um, Rebecca and I sat down with uh, this one guy who did come back to us, Ren. Um, and I remember sitting after a training um, in our apartment, like banging out a website and building our first patch and designing our first T-shirt and just trying to come I mean, up with we, other ways. We to, commissioned a logo. and Yeah, just trying to come up with new ways to be able to market ourselves and you know, look like a you know, semi-professional organization that's, you know, interested in training and supporting <laughs> GoRuck in our own way. Um, and so, yeah, it was really the, the, the three of us that, that kind of kicked this all off. And from there, um, we've invited a couple of others to be the leaders of this group. And so we've now got um, five of us who are ultimately responsible for setting the direction of the, uh, the club going forward. Um, but we, we liken this to um, a, a, a pretty comfortable democracy in that we hold town hall meetings throughout the year and get our participants really involved in a lot of the direction that we're moving in as well. Um, and uh, it, it's just really neat to see how folks are so engaged in the things that we're doing. Um, and I, I don't anticipate an ending anytime soon. That's exciting. And I just kind of want to, dive into this for a second because i know that i mean 2019 has kind of been like the year of the rut clubs there's been just tons of them sprouting up across i mean at least the united states and there's been a fair number you know non-usa sprouting up as well and i know that you know events have happened people have been training up for it with these new rut clubs and then the events over and only one person from the event, one or two stick around and it still feels like a small rock club. And some people can feel, you know, disheartened about that, that there were 40 people at the event, but uh, now there's only, you know, two additional members. Uh, but it sounds like, I mean, your rock club now is 350 people. After that first event, you had one extra main member. And I, it seems like you just looked at that as a really positive, in a really positive light. Not that we had, you know, 3% retention, but that we've got one more person who is psyched about this, who can help us and we're going to do some awesome stuff. That's precisely right. I mean, you know, it, 
when we started out after that that initial event where we were hoping that we'd have a bunch more people come back, and it was just the three of us, we looked at it and said, look, the reality is our focus here isn't about building a rock club. That's a nice to have. Our focus is we want to do more events. We're enjoying this now, and we need to be training for those events. So we've got another guy now who wants to do training with us. And then he brought somebody else, and then they brought somebody else. And so suddenly now we've become a, a training group that's meeting periodically to prepare for events, but also just for you know general physical fitness. What really made the difference for us was, at least in Japan, was the ingress community here, which is significant. Um, and the ingress community, I mean, significant in the thousands. Um, and so a lot of our initial growth came directly out of that community as people training for ingress or more so ruckress decided that, you know, we, we were the only game in town that was doing regular trainings and that they can come participate free of charge uh, weekly um, and, and get something out of it. And so I think that's really where it developed from from there. But And, and that's helped um, shifting to a Japanese base where, the, I mean, the expat community is two or three years in. So at my event, um, it was a lot of expats. And many of them are part of the reason they didn't come back is they don't live here anymore. Um, in all honesty. And so when we were able to tap into the ingress community and get a, a more robust um, Japanese base to our community, that was really a, a huge turning point for us because they're here, you know, nobody's going anywhere um, and they're, they're in it to win it and they're here for the long term. So that's been a cool transition. Um, and all of our events are fully translated. Yeah. Um, Though they certainly know all of the cadre phrases in English. Ranks. <laughs> ranks and columns. That's good to note so that it was, um, there's multiple reasons why only one person really stuck around after that first one. Was, yeah, we didn't take it personally. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I, have a, I usually have a fairly positive attitude, but I would have probably been a little sad. <laughs> I think there was more than one, but no, <laughs> yeah, we didn't take it. It was nothing personal. <laughs> it was more than one, but it was it was it really was only two or three others. Um, and and what Rebecca says is right. I mean, the initial event that we had done for her birthday was probably ninety percent of the foreign pop. Not, not, sorry, not of the foreign population, but ninety percent. Um, the demographic of the of the group participating in the event was ninety percent foreigners. Uh, today. I would say that it's probably Japanese. 90% Japanese. Um, and that too, as kind of was alluding to earlier, is really cool to see um, the Japanese community getting really excited about something that otherwise is, you know, was previously known as building great Americans. And now we liken that to building great people. I think that's a great way to, to change it over. I mean, because that's, that's really the goal here. It's just if, every, if everyone could just be better. That's right. And so we, we've had to, um, I will say we've had to sort of go rock. HQ has been really good about working with us on the themes of our events um, because we can't do all of the, the events don't always make sense here. Um, and so we've had to focus on the events that bring about the theme of building better people. Um, and that's, that's also been interesting because there, I mean, there's political, you know, we, we have to be sensitive to history and politics and um, figure out ways to deliver events that are meaningful, not just to Americans, but to the Japanese. Or if we have 
you know, Brits doing the event or Aussies doing the event or Taiwanese. Um, these are really multicultural events. And so um, HQ has given us a lot of flexibility on that. And they've really, we, it's really great that they, they take our feedback on what we think would work and what wouldn't work here. Um, and we develop our, our calendar around that. I'll just stick with that for a second. I think there's an interesting story there, too. I mean, the conjure that we've been able to get have all been absolutely amazing. Um, Our first cadre, uh, Jesse Hine, um, has continued to be a a cadre for us pretty regularly since he's based in Okinawa. Um, But we have had an extraordinary grouping of cadre who've come out to, to, to do these events with us, and all of them have taken those diplomatic and political and military concerns into, or sensitivities, let's say, um, into consideration when we're doing these events. You know, we were talking about 9-11 earlier, um, and when uh, Kadri Joel, who was then in an events capacity, had put that on our calendar, really raised some eyebrows here because, look, 9-11 obviously is an extremely important event for, for the U.S., um, and while certainly there were Japanese who were who had lives lost then as well, the reality is that uh, certainly the, the, the difference. How do I put this? Um, it, it's a more appreciable difference for for Americans than it would otherwise be. However, we ran the event, and I think we probably had about sixty uh, some odd people there. We had some Taiwanese there and some Japanese there, and the country we had during the event asked for some of our non-American participants to talk about their experiences on 9/11. And it was really quite profound to hear how they too were impacted by 9/11, who had who knew people who were there or otherwise had some personal impact um, from from 9/11 itself. Um, And it's you know it really kind of brought to the forefront that 9/11, while it is a very personal, very American tragedy, the reality is it was something we as a group um, could all. Relate to. I, I relate to honor and, and, and mourn at the same time, regardless of what country it took place in. Yeah, it was really, really special. And then to Jesse's point about the cadre being really good, like cadre, we had a, a March 11th event here to commemorate the triple disaster in Japan. Um, and that's that's a very important event for Japanese um, and anyone who was here during that time. And cadre Daniel you know, I met with, we were exchanging texts before the event, and then I, he flew in, and I met with him the night before the event, went through everything with him, um, and Cadre Flashbang was here too, and they just re- really did a good job delivering an event that was more meaningful to, you know, the people that were here in, in the Japanese community, and so I was super happy with how that went, and it was very cool to see that. And in that event, actually, it was kind of vice versa, where when people were invited to talk, it, I think it was more foreigners who actually got up and talked yeah. um, and shared their stories about how the the triple disaster impacted them and where they were at. So it was a unique contrast between the, the September 11th event to see that happen at the March 11th event. And that is a really interesting point to bring up because... I mean, living in the United States my whole life, it's so easy to get, um, you know, kind of narrow-minded on, of course, this is an important event, but then, uh, you know, as GORUCK becomes more of a global company running events in more countries than just the U.S. and, and even more and more events, it's, 
I guess, reassuring to see that they're, I guess, translating them over, making sure that the the time and the energy and the the significance is put into them so that the people who are taking part of them feel like that they're, you know, being paid honor. Yeah. Yeah. Without exception. I mean, we've just had a very, very good um, experiences on all those events. Um, and I, I do think that's, that's to the HQ and cadre for investing their time um, and understanding our community. And it sounds like, uh, because of the those events and the number of events that it's really kind of uh, snowballed into the growth of your rock club and just the uh, the number of people who are coming out. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and to the point where uh, it is now what we're recording this on August 31st, we are going to be marketing our Christmas events uh, likely tomorrow. Um because they tend to sell out that quickly. Um, last year, I think we had just short of 80 people at our Christmas light event. This year, we've got a uh, Christmas light. And then the day after, um, we'll be, we, I should say, we, we collectively with GORUCK will be introducing the first ever um, Sprint Star Course to, to Japan on December the 15th. So we've got a couple of different events we're going to start marketing. And we're marketing them this early because we just don't know what kind of result we're going to get out of that. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when we did our first event, we first rather Christmas light, we had 30 people show up. And like I said, last year we had just short of 80. Um, and we are at such um, a place now where we've grown as quickly as we have that it's actually starting to cause us some challenges for things like host parties. And do we have the right kinds of permissions to be in certain places with a group of people of that size. So we used to have the after events at our house. We can't we do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so we, it's really forced us to plan a lot earlier than was the case previously because of all these different issues that have started to come up. Um, and it's created you know some greater logistical challenges than we, we would otherwise have had years ago. But we'll take it. That's a good yeah. problem to have because yeah. we continue to grow and, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And one of the things that keeps it exciting is, you know, we we're HQ keeps giving, you know, there's new offerings. And so um, we, we're, we're far short of doing them all. I mean, at least in the, you know, in the U.S., you can fly to an event pretty easily here. It's like we build the events, you, you know, there, there's just not another event in Asia Pacific and there will be next year in, in Singapore, which is great. Um but there's not a lot of chance to participate in something like Constellation or if you want to do the Mog Mile or if you want to do um, something different. And so what we're trying to do is is sort of um, build build the event schedule so it includes new and exciting things every year to keep people coming back. And that's that's been pretty effective so far. So we're really excited about next year or even the end of this year with our Sprint Star Courses. Um, and we'll see how, how the crew reacts to that. We might get some new records in. who knows. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about those sprint star courses. I know the, the second beta is happening in Jacksonville. And then I think I'm, I'd have to double check the website, but I think Tokyo gets the first official non beta sprint star course series. It's kind of scary. <laughs> they can experiment with us. Uh, no, that's that's cool, and and I think that'll play nicely because we're building into that Kyoto Star Course, which is going to be phenomenal next year. I mean, 
what a fabulous city and what a great way to see all of the history. So we're really excited about that one. Um, and we, we do have some, some Rutgers down, you know, not all of us are in Tokyo. So we have Rutgers and Okayama and Kansai area. And so we're hoping to pull in some folks from Osaka, um, into that event and, and kind of continue our expansion beyond Tokyo. It's another great time to come to Japan. <laughs> yes. So the first event you did for GORUCK in the United States was the second GRT reunion event. And we had kind of talked about other events that you had done in the United States. And it sounds like you're back there for the five-year reunion. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct. We were um, back there. I guess it was May, was it, this year? Um, we were back in... Uh, the U.S., not, not exclusively for reunion, but uh, anyway, certainly went back at that point. It was our first opportunity to go down and see headquarters, which was kind of a neat experience. If we had... Jason asked, we were there just for GoRuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of a neat experience. But, you know, the other thing um, that uh, Jason and the crew in instituted at uh, reunion this year was the first um, GoRuck Beaters event. Um, and that was a, that was a really neat experience for us as well. We, was, being in Japan, we have otherwise had virtually no opportunity to meet some of the other uh, folks who were leading many of these clubs around the world. So um, that, that was a great opportunity in and of itself. But one of the things that I found most interesting from that opportunity to kind of meet all these leaders is the fact that we had some time to to talk about the different ways that we're running our clubs and. You know, I talked about the town halls that we do and, and the different ways that we market ourselves and different ways that we've increased our membership. Um, but one of the most interesting parts of this to me um, was the opportunity for us to stand in front of the group and talk specifically about the different kinds of ways that our group is inspiring us to continue and to grow. And in doing that, I, I spent a couple of minutes reflecting on that before I stood in front of the group. And I realized at the time that what inspires me most about this group is that they are absolutely, totally focused on finish the training, go off, have fun with each other, come back in a week, continue the training, go off, have fun with each other. Like they've started to build a community within our community. Um, and, you know, where that has gone in the time since is that these guys sit down when we're not doing a training for them because we've otherwise just finished an event and we're, we're going to take a couple of weeks off. They will go out and push themselves to continue doing trainings when we're not about, around and able to do that for them. Um, and it's just this group is such a resilient bunch of people that whatever you throw at them, it never seems to matter. I mean, I, we, we haven't had anyone quit an event just yet. And, uh, and I don't envision that's going to happen anytime soon because these guys are so hard-nosed about completing what the objective was. Um, there was. We did an event two years ago for what was then my 40th birthday. Um, and uh, I don't know if Kadri Shredder is going to appreciate me telling this story, but I'll, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, somewhere in the middle of the event, he had felt that there were a couple of people who were not necessarily going to be up to the task of going from a tough event into the light event, um, just because of the way that they were performing in the middle of this tough. Now this well, tough. This was our first tough light. 
It was our first tough flight. That's right. Um, and, and you know, it was the, it was the deadest summer. It was hot as hell. Um, and so you know, I, we had a conversation. It was like three o'clock in the morning, and I said to him, "I don't think you're right." Um, and he said, no, "I bet you, I bet you, there's going to be someone who's not going to be able to continue between the tough and the light." And I said, "I'm sorry, but I just I know our guys. I don't think that's realistic." Um, and so, ultimately, about 7.30, 8 o'clock the next morning, we had, we had just finished the tough. Um, Kadra Schroeder had gone off with Kadra Jesse, who prayer for the light. And a, a, a young man approached me uh, on the beach as we were kind of transitioning between events. This was a guy who Kadra Schroeder the night before had crucified for not uh, completing the task in the, in the appropriate manner. Um, and he approached me and said, you know what, I have not signed up for the light event, um, and I would like to be able to participate in that. And I got a lot out of the tough, I got a lot out of Condra Shredder, and I want to continue to push myself. And so you cannot begin to understand how much excitement I had to be able to go to Condra Shredder thereafter and say, not only did we not lose anybody between events, but the guy you yelled at last night for not completing the objective appropriately was so inspired by how you approached it um, and uh, your constructive criticism of what he was doing that he said, I not only want to continue doing Go Rock, I want to do the next event that begins in 30 minutes. And I know I'm not signed up, but that's the event I want. That's very representative of what this crew is all about. And so being able to share that with everybody there it's not, a, it's not a, a selfish thing. It was just really neat to see a crew come together so aggressively, so energetically um, that Go Ruck is, is, I mean, that's that's their focus. They love it. And, um, and Man, that, that's pretty neat to be cry. part of. <laughs> that's pretty neat to be a part of. They're cool. We love them so much. We call him Bonus Guy. That's his, that's his nickname. Everybody gets a nickname. He's the bonus guy. Bonus guy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people at events can take what the cadre say and internalize it and just kind of let it eat away at them. But it sounds like the exact opposite happened in this case. And it seems like that's, you know, what you've experienced a lot of is just, you know, just taking the, the criticism at the, the value it is you know, make the appropriate changes. And it sounds like they just, that's just a, a great story. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, absolutely. And like, I mean, and we do get the, you know, the, we keep doing this, um, obviously for the crew, but we get the comments too, from people that, I mean, there is a, uh, one of our, one of our crew members, she, she hasn't been with us for some time. Um, cause she's really busy at work and she's had some other issues, but, I think I got a note from her out of the blue just to say, like, I learned this at my events in Garuk and um, it's made me, it's helped me at work. And like, that's cool to see that, that they're bringing these lessons back. So they're not internalizing this in a bad way. They're taking it on board um, and they're applying it to their, their real world day-to-day -day situations. And, and as long as that keeps happening and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to happen for everyone, but if you get a note like that, we do every, you know, month or six months or so that makes it all worth it. Cause it's just magical to see that transition and the confidence and, 
it's really amazing to see that transition in people. You know, when we first instituted the, the club in its current format, we said we're, we are about physical fitness, um, but we're also about teamwork and leadership and communication. And um, it's, it was funny, I was actually telling this story this morning in, in one of our trainings with someone who's new to, to our organization and was our, uh, a, a rookie team leader uh, last week during an evolution that we were doing um, and had the opportunity to, to try out some of these teamwork and leadership and communication skills that Go Ruck speaks um, so much about. Um, and you know, it's become kind of second nature for, I think, a lot of the people who've been in the group a while, but it's, it's pretty neat to see someone who's new to the group start to be able to, um, to grow from these kinds of Go Ruck experiences. But beyond that, as Rebecca says, to seeing the, and I'm not suggesting Go Ruck is in the real world, but to see the real world um, results in some of these people after they finish their events is, is probably what is the most inspiring thing for us. So aside from the, the, this individual who got a promotion at work because of what she feels was um, a positive Go Ruck or several positive Go Ruck experiences, um, we have had an all, all sorts of other accomplishments that we continue to celebrate on behalf of our crew. So much so that we started about a year, year and a half ago, the stories of why. Um, and we asked our, our folks to tell us a little bit more about what Go Ruck means to them beyond the event, beyond the training. Um, we've had two of our guys who have probably lost 50, 60 pounds um, in the last few months alone. We've had a few people who have gotten promotions at work. We've had people who uh, have participated in the training and otherwise didn't have the confidence to get involved in the training, to be a team leader or to otherwise give directions to others who are now very comfortably doing that. Um, and to me, uh, while the physical fitness aspects of this are, are critically important, participation in events are, are, are wonderful to see. It's the real-world result of what that all that work looks like, and you start to see these people change in for, for the better, and they recognize that change in themselves. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. Truly, it doesn't. I completely agree, and it's just a great way of looking at it because so often it's easy to look at accomplishments at GoRuck events and say, oh, you did, you know, you did so great at that tough, and then the light afterwards. Uh, when you know when are you doing a heavy and just kind of um, kind of look at it at that narrow line, uh, but but looking outside of it, you know, to either side how it's changed people, you know, like you mentioned, the skills you learn. I mean, managing teams in stressful environments, even if it is in some ways manufactured stress, it sure feels exactly. like stress. And I think understanding your own weaknesses in, in that environment and what your tendencies are in those situations. I mean, there's just so much self-awareness. Um, if you have the self-awareness, that, that can lead to positive change, I think, in the workplace. And that, that's what we see. Um, most of our folks, in, in honesty, are in our rec club are, are older. I mean, we, I think we're mid-career mid level. Um, and we see them pulling, you know, we see them pulling that stuff into the workplace. And that's, um, it's, it's neat to witness that and we get those comments. So I generally hear of a lot of rut clubs getting members off of event pages, off of, uh, you know, workouts. People see them when they're out rucking. Uh, but with Tokyo Ruckers, I mean, a lot of the event pages, at least initially, were custom events. So it's not like people are going to be, you know, searching and, and finding them for the most part. 
I'm wondering, um, since we've talked about promotions, about real world, you know, ramifications of GoRuck events and things that you, people have taken away from it, have people been bringing coworkers to your training? Yes, that is actually one of our biggest recruitment tools is people bring coworkers. Um, and I so like it. there was, um, there was a general, I think one of the, one of my favorite stories is last, last year there was a gentleman and he brought, um, he had a young Korean, very young Korean student. I would say he was an intern or some kind of, you know, he was very junior. He brought him to training and um he has since gone back to korea so he was here for you know three months or something like that he trained with us he did an event with us he jumped in with all of his heart and soul and he was um his fitness improved and he was doing awesome i mean he came to us and he could barely i mean he was having a hard time just keeping up with practice and, and at the end he was doing events um went back to korea and i still see him posting on instagram of him rocking and um, doing this as a, as a life habit and it's, um, but people do bring their coworkers regularly. I think Jesse has two. He just brought in yep, just two weeks ago. I brought week. in a couple of coworkers who are avidly, um, excited about this. They, you know, they, they, they've come to a couple of trainings and I said, you know, I don't usually, and this is the other thing about training, right? We don't usually push ourselves past what we perceive to be the breaking point. Um, so, you know, earlier today, we did the Pathfinder Advanced 10-mile uh, buddy ruck with 80 pounds. That's not something you would just kind of pick up and do and go ruck 80, rather 10 miles with 80 pounds and be like, yeah, that's what I did for the afternoon. That's something that you need to be pushed to do, I would think, for most people anyway. Um, and ditto for, for the training. Uh, so I ran training last weekend. Um, it was effectively a four-hour PT session. Um, and you know, it's the same kind of thing. My philosophy has always been people can go off and ruck when they want to. They don't need the ruck club for that. But to be able to push you to do the 50th push-up or the 90th sit-up or whatever the case may be, or to you know keep your ruck over your head for two minutes, three minutes, whatever the case may be, that people don't in, innately want to push themselves beyond. And the fact that um, in, in this case anyway, that my colleagues came out, they enjoyed it so much that they now want to. They're they're excited about the gear. We've got a couple events. They want to do the events. That's how this comes to fruition um, so easily, at least for us, is that people come, they get a taste of it and say, I, I can do this and I can do more and I want to try more because it's going to make me a better person. And so let's see where this goes. And that's primarily, as Rebecca was saying earlier, where our recruitment comes from today. So if you wouldn't mind, can we talk a little bit about your training sessions? Sure. That really resonates with me, uh, being able to you know, rock the miles on your own time and then doing some of this PT when you're together, because, you know, when you're just doing push-ups in the garage or, you know, doing overhead press, if there aren't a handful of eyes staring at you, it can be easy to go, eh, 40 seconds is like kind of close to 60, right? Right. <laughs> exactly right. Um, You've obviously been watching our training session. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, that, but that's exactly right. Um, and so, you know, again, when we when we first put the group together, it was about training together. We didn't necessarily have an event in mind. It was about training together and seeing where things went. And and now it, it's that is still while that's still the case. The reality is when 
we've got an event coming up. So in this case, we've got a heavy event in six weeks' time. Um, so we've put a 12-week program together that focuses on many of the things that, excuse me, Pathfinder Advance focuses on, but also many of the things where we feel our group could use some additional attention on. Um, and so a few years ago, it was just myself or just Rebecca and I who are running trainings, and we realized in the process of doing that, you don't get many different philosophies or many dis different disciplines in terms of training style. Um, and so what we wanted to do was to, to better reflect a bunch of different ideas about how we can conduct training for the benefit of everyone. So we invited uh, three other trainers to become a part of this conversation. And so every week now we rotate trainers. Um, and so we've got some guys who are a little bit more focused on rocking. We've got some people like myself who are a little bit more focused on driving that PT. Um, and so in this case, where we're training for the heavy, we train every Saturday morning uh, from 7.30 in the morning until about 11.30 in the morning. So it's a pretty solid four-hour training program. Um, and then everybody goes about their day, and, and that's about it. Um, but that's what training looks like today. Yeah, and we, we have a, we're very disciplined about putting together a, a schedule um, leading up to events. So we'll, we'll sit down and plan out an eight-week course or a 12-week course with different themes and the training times build as you get closer to the event, um, just to make sure we're picking up on things like we'll have a communications focused day or a um, buddy carry focused day. And so it's always about incorporating not just the physical elements, but the lessons learned from events. So people are, are, are mentally prepared um, for these events as well. That's so smart. And that's such a, great resource to offer your rec club and honestly it's, it's not hard um i mean if we sit down and plan an eight-week schedule it takes an hour it's just about making sure it's and, and it helps the participants see too so if they don't want to you know if they don't want to come to pt day because they're scared <laughs> they can opt out um but that that gives them a preview of what's to come and we don't tell them exactly what we're going to do but we do tell them what we're going to focus on for that theme and so that's posted um in advance and it helps us too because we're all busy as as you know with their day jobs and as trainers we've just got to we just go back to that schedule assign the calendar and say okay who's doing this build it off of this theme and you don't have to think about it then so you know what's coming you know who's doing what um, and I think it actually saves time in the end, um, because we put the hour or two hours in to think about, think ahead and, and program out the schedule. Got it. And that, yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know, a little bit of preparation here will definitely, definitely save you down the line. Uh, so for the trainers at the, at the, you know, the training times, can anyone lead a training session or is there something that you know someone has to do or to uh be able to do that yeah so uh, all, all of our trainers have been through a multitude of events ren as i mentioned earlier who was what kind of the the founding fathers with us in this group um has been a trainer all along and we've added a couple of others into the into the mix in the time and since go ahead sorry aki and tim and daisuke yes, yes. um and we, uh, in, in the time since, have looked at, when we kind of recruited new trainers, looked at different skill sets to ensure that they complemented the group, um, that, that they weren't like Rebecca or myself. 
Um, I mean, and, and but and the world needs more of us. No, Come on. But, but that's that's critically <laughs> important in that, you know, we want we, we truly want the group to have the benefit of very different schools of thought. Um, and so, it, it, you know, in being able to to have a, a group of trainers that we can pull from, it, it really does make the difference. Um, so, no, there isn't a specific criteria that we're looking for in in. Um, and when we select our, our new trainers, I will say simply that we want them to obviously have been through a, a number of events so that there is a little bit of credibility to the kinds of things that we're doing. But no, other than that, what we do is we generally do like a, a monthly in-service where we'll meet after training for breakfast, maybe a couple of beers, um, and we'll talk about um, you know the kinds of trainings that we've got coming up and we'll select who's going to do what and, and you know provide some collective thought amongst the trainers about what we want to accomplish that day or that week or that month. Um, but outside of that, it is truly at the, the trainers own, uh, you know, they're of their own accord to decide what that training schedule is going to look like over that four hour period of time. Right. And I think that allows us all to bring a little more passion to our individual workouts, because if you've got a lead training week in, week out, you're going to have an off week. But if you have one session and it's sandbag training, which is always my favorite. Um, you, you bring it all. And so you plan all of that event you bring all of your energy and you show up with your a plus game and it's, it makes it, I think it makes it more fun for, for leading training too. And then we also get to participate when we're not training every, you know, leading training every week because we need to prepare too. So that, that, that's another added bonus is that it's nice to, sit back and just participate as a, as a rucker. You know, that's an interesting thing that, that Bex mentioned there. It, we, we historically were participating in the trainings while we were running the trainings as well. Um, but there's a challenge with that because you're so focused on what you're already doing that it's a little bit hard for you to then be leading the group in such a way that you're going to be able to focus on, hey, that wasn't really a push-up. Um, or, Hey, you know, that's not how I want to see you doing squats. And then, you know, or, or noticing things that might otherwise be somewhat a little bit dangerous. Um, so what we've kind of broken away from is, um, the trainers leading and doing the training at the same time. There's still going to be some of that, but the reality is in most of the cases, we'll have the trainers running the session, ensuring that the group is doing what that trainer wants the group to be doing, doing it in a safe way. Um, and ultimately ensuring that the group is getting the kinds of training out of it that they want to have. And then the next week, that trainer will rotate off, and then they, they become a participant as well. So we're ensuring that all of our trainers are getting active training as well, as Beck said. Yeah, because it really is tough to uh, critique that 50th push-up when you also have done 50 ruck push-ups. Correct. That's a really good thing to call out. And I know... It can be tough, right, leading it because you see the workout and you want to do it as well. But I think it's a just the perfect plan you've got because you have the number of trainers, so you know you you know you'll be in there next time. And that's it. And and it it also you know again we talked earlier about pushing each other, being accountable to each other, and pushing each other beyond what you perceive to be your upper limit. And I don't feel like, you know, when I'm in a training capacity and I'm actually doing the workout as well, that I can't really get a, a positive read on 
how that person is doing or this person is doing based upon the workout that I'm giving them. So if I take some time off and I'm not working out, but I'm leading the training, I can move around person to person and see how they're reacting to the training that I'm putting forth. And if it's not working for them because it's too easy or it's not working for them because they're really struggling, then I can start to adapt that program around them or the rest in a group, depending upon what we're doing. And I think that makes for a much more um, scalable training environment than would otherwise be the case if everyone's doing exactly the same thing. We know that we've got some guys who are absolute hard chargers who are ready to go and want to do everything and probably could. And we know that we've got some guys who are, you know, couch to 5Kers or in some cases just getting off the couch um, and therefore needs a little extra time for them to be successful um, in, in what it is they're trying to accomplish. And so by doing the training in this style, we feel like we can create an environment where it's welcoming to everyone, no matter their circumstances or no matter their physical ability. Yes, that's so important to us is to make sure that the training is welcoming to all and challenging for all in an appropriate and safe way. And that sounds like it might be one of the big reasons why people keep coming back. People bring coworkers, people bring friends. Is that what you'd say was possibly one of the, the major reasons? Or do you, have, do you think there's other reasons as well, things that you've done that, that really keep people coming back, you know, you session know, after it's, session? It's, it's a reasonable question. Oh, it's a good question, I should say. I mean, and I think the answer is yes, but in part. I mean, you know, the other thing that we haven't talked about at all is how do we keep these trainings fun and fresh? You know, it's one thing to just do a four-hour beatdown. Anyone can do that. Um, but to be able to get some satisfaction out of that at the end of the day, knowing that you accomplished something, but you also had fun doing it, I think is another key reason why the group comes back. And then I, I spoke about it earlier, but, you know, this group is, they, they have begun to, and I'm speaking collectively now, they have begun to, or more than begun to, um, really establish very positive relationships amongst themselves, social relationships amongst themselves. So we'll finish training and a bunch of them will go off and have lunch together and do other things together. A bunch of them will go see each other during the week and do other things together, whether it's go ruck related or not. Um, and I think a lot of those interpersonal relationships as well and the way that those have grown within the group are also a good reason behind why people continue to come back. Well, and I think they just like to talk about it too. I mean, so like we did a summer... We, we weren't going to do a summer event, um, but we felt we read the crowd. We felt they were hungry for one, and we put together a custom uh, light scav. And on Monday, I wanted to, like, tell everybody about it because it was absolutely the most fun I've had in a, I mean, forever. It was just so much fun. It was so much fun to see people laughing and smiling. And, and I think when they go to the office on Monday, that's what they do. Um, they want to talk about it and then people become interested, they become curious and then they come to training. And so it's creating those moments where, and, and building that regular event schedule that's different and rewards you in a different way at each event. I mean, this was just a light and it was a scab, but oh my Lord, it was so much fun. It was just like the smiles and the, um, I mean, we were playing rugby in a park. Mm -hmm. I don't, there, there were some in obscure, in, in, there were obscure things that happened, but you just want to share that and you can't help but sharing it. And so I think that's where a lot of it comes from because we don't have the, you know, the, 
we don't have the crowd here in Tokyo that's like seeks out super fitness events or or even if if we do it's 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 not huge. It's not like the states where they're like, "Yes, I must do my next fitness challenge." So we do rely on that that feeling that that people spread the word, that they bring others in and they spread that excitement. And those I mean those events can be so much fun. This was epic fun. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know why. It was just silly. It was absolutely silly. And Cadre Jesse just, I think we all forgot we were 40 something year olds with big jobs and real jobs and just had fun for a weekend doing stupid things. And it was awesome. And that's all it took. So that was a, a light scavenger? Yeah. So we did a light and then we did a, then we ended at a conveniently at, um, one of our favorite places, Antenna America, um, and I'll give a shout out to Pizza Kaya too. Um, but we ended the, the light at a beer place in Yokama and went straight into the scav from there. So, and I don't even need to ask the question because you've already answered this. But everyone made it through the light and continued on. Of course. Yeah, we had, we also had a bunch of people who showed up just for the scav as well, which is always kind of fun um, because you know you, you put in a little bit of effort at the light and then you have. You know, a drink or two in preparation for the scav. Um, and so, you know, the, the, how do I put this? Um, when you got a, a bunch of people together who have been at an event for four to five hours and they get a little well greased in between the events, it makes for a lot more fun as well. Especially when that next event is you're leading into it's a scav. Yeah. <laughs> we love the scavengers here. That's for sure. So the... The last major topic that I, I really wanted to, to touch on was gear. And so I just want to make sure before we get into the gear discussion, is there anything else that you want to talk about, you know, related to events, related to uh, your rock club or, or anything that we, that we might have missed? I don't think so. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job covering it. So I know that procuring GORUCK gear internationally has been a struggle for a number of rock clubs I've talked to. I've heard some methods, you know, I, I just had a Singapore on and they talked about using drop shippers. And so I'm, I'm wondering if there's any strategies that, you know, your rock club has for procuring GORUCK gear or even um, recommendations. You mentioned a lot of people bring friends. Do you have, you know, spare rucks for them? Or are there, um, do you have recommendations for the new ruckers who come out to your rock club? So when, when we were first starting, um, we did a lot of it by hand. Um, so I would use suitcase space and I would just post that to the rec club. Hey, I'm going home. Um, I have space for four rucks first to sign up win. And then I would bring home four rucks at a time. Um, might bring in some plates depending on how, how, how many people wanted them. Um, but that was the startup, just kind of the startup period. But I think since that time, we've um, people, because there's so much demand for gear, I think people have figured out their own ways to get the gear here on um, by themselves. And so they usually take advantage of um, Christmas in July, Thanksgiving Day, Veterans Day sale, whatever the sales Goruck has going on. And then they use uh, reshippers. And that's, I think, the, the most favorite way to get things in here. Um, Additionally, Gorak has worked 
very hard um, at two separate ingress events to do bulk orders. And this was very successful in getting a ton of gear over here. So they just did a bulk shipment. And this is so like if I don't know if you noticed, but at the Christmas in this past Christmas in July sale, one of the delivery options was pick up in Busan or wherever they had the ingress event. They shipped a pallet over. I don't know what logistics did. It was amazing, but they did this in Tokyo last um, fall where they did a huge, huge order. Emily was out here. Um, they were distributing the order at an ingress event. There was so much gear ordered that, you know, if, if people know that's an option and that, that they can pick up locally, it really opened up a lot of, um, I guess people just ordered everything they could and wanted to ever. And so I, I think that helped quite a bit. And so I'm sure we'll continue to see that at ingress events from time to time. Um, but that's been a very effective way of getting a lot of gear out here. And then I think the other big thing is we got, we ordered 30 plus pairs of boots out here <laughs> in one bulk order. So the bulk order seemed to be a very effective way of making people happy. Yeah. The other thing is the group itself, they're all evangelists for the gear. I mean, if, if you... Uh, if you, you look come at to our practice, they're yeah. head to toe, head to toe, head and go to right toe. Here. Um, <laughs> but, but the rucks in particular. Um, and so early on, you know, then I'm, I'm speaking now in 2016 for the group was, had really come to fruition yet. Um, we had guys training with all kinds of gear and look, in reality, there were plenty of people at the time that said, I'm doing this as one event. Maybe it'll be two events. I don't know. Uh, the Goruck bags, you know, was, we were talking primarily about GR ones, and yeah, they're kind of cool looking. I don't know that I would necessarily use this as kind of my day to day, you know, everyday carry commute kind of thing. Uh, and I don't want to spend a couple hundred bucks on a bag, so therefore I'm just going to train with whatever I've got at home. And we had one guy in the middle of a, a training evolution um, who uh, I was running sort of that, that, that component of the training, and we were doing buddy carries with uh, weights in our rocks and I was probably 50 meters ahead of the group and then I heard a loud clang and I turned around and someone who was using a non-go rock bag had broken the straps off his bag and found um, them to be now plastered to the sidewalk um, and so I, I will tell you in that moment it was a hell of a marketing tool for go rock at the time to say you know Maybe the bags are really built much better than a lot of other product that's available in the market. Um, and so, you know, that's that's always been a great marketing tool for us um, because people know that the, that the bags are of incredible quality. Um, but when it comes to the plates themselves, that's where we've had our greatest difficulty. You know, you can get headlamps from other locations. You can get reflectors from other locations. You can ship in rocks. You no can ship problem. in rocks, no problems. But the plates are are, are really quite a challenge. Um, and so I mean, we had one order when the plates were first starting to come out and we started to transition away from using bricks and duct tape. Oh, um, remember I those days? I, th I think we had 700 and something pounds of plates that were brought into Japan for an absurd amount of money in, in shipping. Um, and so we decided that at that time that was just not a viable way of being able to to manage that kind of weight requirements. Nor was it okay for me to keep bringing back expert plates one by one. Right.
from the U.S. in my suitcase because it just it's heavy, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> so at that point, then we started looking into our own community to say, does anyone know of anyone that can manufacture plates? Does anyone have a vendor? Um, and one of the guys um, who is uh, pretty pretty active in our group um, is also a bit of a metal worker, um, and so he actively now. Um, we'll build us a dozen or so plates every couple of months or so that we then on sell to uh, to the crew. Um, and that right now is our best mechanism for ensuring that our guys have access to the appropriate weight. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, outside of that, as, as Rebecca was saying earlier, it's what we continue to buy a significant portion of the Go Ruck gear. We use reshippers to do that or otherwise um, when our folks go back to the States for visits or whatnot, it's hand delivery and pickups and whatnot. Yep, and we really just want to make sure that the people have, I mean, like I said, it's easy to order the rucks, it's easy to order the clothes. Um, we want people to come to training, and so we do have spare ruck plates on hand. Um, I bring all of the sandbags um, all the time because I um, we just buy them and bring them back. But we loan things out, and we're we try to enable people to have the best experience. And then pretty soon they're ready to buy their own, you know, they can buy their own gear, they can use their reshippers and then just rely on um, local plates. And that seems to be a, a good combination for us to keep people, to give people the right tools they need um, to join practice. You know, the other thing that we do, because we're, we're an active ruck club and we're, we're, we've effectively become affiliate markers for Go Ruck, um, as an affiliate, you know, we, there's a percentage paid back to the club for all the sales um, in, a, in a given month or a given quarter. I forget how it, it, it exactly operates. But we take that cash and then reinvest it back into the club. So when Rebecca says we bring all the sandbags, I believe uh, Rebecca is probably in the top 10 of sandbag procurers for GORUCK <laughs> around the world because we seem to have an ever-growing list of 80s, 40s. I think we have a few 60 filler bags and oh, a got ton the 20s. of 20s now. We got the 20s little baby too. sandbags. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we, we just have an incredible array of gear that we procure from GORUCK that we use for our training programs as well. But outside of that, um, this is actually something Kit had asked me about at Reunion. We also like to take some of that cash and then use it to buy new gear. So we'll buy GR1s or we'll buy new Ruckers. Um, we'll buy T-shirts, um, things like that. And then at the end of the year, we'll either give them away as prizes for those who are the most engaged in the club or coming to training all the time or bringing new members, or we'll give it away as charity raffle as well. Um, and that's yet another way for our guys to be able to get access to gear while also being very engaged in what the club is actually actively doing. Yes, I think here we have a gear problem in a good way. <laughs> International shipping is not part. Uh, the gear problem is we probably all have too much of it in a good way. There's definitely a gear problem over here in my spot. Uh, it's different if you ask myself or my wife if it's a good way or a bad way. <laughs> but either way, it's a problem. Yeah, you know, not for nothing, but in the cycling community, there is the, the cycling rule N plus one, where N is the total number of bikes I can own. Um, plus one before my wife decides she's going to divorce me. And I think it's very much the same way when it comes to GORUCK here. The amount of stuff that our guys have in rucks and T-shirts and pants and shorts, and um, I think actually even a couple of our guys have the GORUCK bathing suits. Um, 
But yeah, it's an incredible amount. I mean, anytime something new comes out, we have to have it here. Um, so we, we've solved a lot of our shipping problems. Just a question of... Uh, we all have Mac V1s. I mean, all of us. It's ridiculous. You come to our training and at least half of us have one in an amazing way because <laughs> they're the best. <laughs> so I'm glad that you guys are able to make that work. And um... Yeah, it's it's been trial and error, but I think three years in, we've figured it out so good i guess for the other international communities have hope um there are ways around it It, it's not always easy but it it's possible and goruk did mention in the their most recent state of goruk that they're still looking into international options so fingers crossed that there will be something yeah that would be hugely help i mean and and so there's some things where like it, okay, reshippers make sense, and there's other things where, like, I think we were doing, like, I think it was the Cadre Rooney patches. We all wanted to buy them, um, so we, we put together a group order. And some things just make more sense as a group order because the shipping fees on, on patches were going to be incredibly high, like, ridiculously high to the point that it took away from the ordering process. So in cases like that, I just, we just take a group order I ship them home and then they get them when they get them. And as long as people are patient, that, that seems to be, that seems to work. So we kind of make a judgment call. Is it worth the, the reshipper fees or should we just do a group order and then get this three months later, or, you know, whenever we're going to go back home um, and pick it up there. And for those listening who haven't played around with Gorks, you know, shipping calculator by putting in international orders, it's not like we're talking about you know, being patient for saving $10 or $20. It's, it's a bit it's more like than hundreds. $75 on a $10 patch. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> It's real. It's, it's, it's material. Um, and so we do make that judgment call. Makes a lot of sense. And we have a lot of spreadsheets and the, the great thing about it is it's so cute. So, I mean, I say it's cute. So when we did like our Mac V1 order, I have my spreadsheet out, you know, everybody we had a Mac V, we, we had a pickup party around it so that everybody came and picked up their Mac V1s together. We had beer, of course, um, people were hanging out at the house and whatever the fee. So, you know, it's an, it's, it's a very unusual number because we had to translate it. Yeah. We had to convert it into yen. So it was like something like 823 is the, the last part of the yen or something like that. Every single one of our people, they bring exact change and it's a beautiful thing. So like click it off the spreadsheet, they pick up their size. Um, I felt like we were operating a store here, but they all brought exact change and they all left happily with their Mac V1s and a few beers in their bellies. See, that's a great way to do it. Turn it into a giant, uh, giant party. It, it basically anytime we could gear in it, it, that's what we do. We have the big parties around, even patches. So we'll have people over just to pick up all their various patches for monthly rut club patches or whatever. And it's kind of another fun way to get people together. And I, I don't know it, why we're talking about it like this. I mean, the reality is that the, the patches are just a reason to have a party. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to, to be clear, too, this, this group the... has no problem having a party. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, we've got patches. We should have a party. So there, that's how it works. <laughs> all end up at our house at some point <laughs> everything here the whole the, the whole event everything just an excuse to have a party 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hang out, drink beer. <laughs> get a patch. Oh, get a patch. Awesome. <laughs> well, is there anything that we might not have touched on that I mean you want to make sure that we that we go over? I mean, I think that we've covered just a, a whole wealth of information. It would be cool to talk again in a year about how the star courses went for you over there because I I think that I mean that's just a phenomenal a set of events that you've got there, especially focused on how you have the 15, the 10, the five that are coming in December. And then three months later, you have the 50, 26.2 and 12. And I mean, just the, I'm based on the club numbers and, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The amount of participation over there. It'll be, I think it's gonna be really interesting to hear about how people use those first three events. If they use them as ways to test out gear for the next ones so if there are people who you know didn't think that they could ever do a 26.2 or a 50 but then they just crush the 15 and they're like oh i can do this i just i think it's gonna be really exciting to see what happens there in the next what eight yeah, months I think five the months progression's great uh, yeah um I, I i do think the last thing we want to be sure to mention is that um participation from our goruk family in the u.s over here has not been um we haven't seen a lot of visitors, um, but we we want to, we would like to see that. Um, we've seen we saw it at Normandy. You know, I think most of the participants, the vast majority, were from overseas, and so we do we want to recreate that over here in Japan because I mean Tokyo is beautiful, Kyoto is beautiful, Okinawa beautiful. They're all amazing cities, um, and the events we put on are solid, and we would just really love to welcome. Um, our U.S. Goruk family and our European Goruk family, um, of course, APAC's invited because they're with us anyway. Uh, but we want to see them here at the events and and show people how we do things here because it is a little bit different. It's not um, the event feeling's a little bit different, and we want to share that and we want to showcase that and we want. Um, to bring others into that mix. And I think it would just be so wonderful to have more people join those events because um, we're proud of them and we want to show them off and we want to learn from other people. Um, and that's good for our rock club too, is to get that, the you know, different folks showing up for our events um, that have different experiences, different expertise. And we want to, we want to see that here. So please come to Tokyo or Okinawa or Kyoto in 2020 because we're going to have it all. So on two levels for that, I mean, the first, obviously for events, they can find them on the Goruk website. Uh, but the second part, if there are people who, you know, rockers who are traveling for maybe for work or for vacation, is there a method for them to get in contact with you to maybe jump in on one of your training sessions? Absolutely. And, and we do that regularly. Um, so like Munich Ruckers were over here this spring, we created a Sunday event just for them. And we went out and we, it, again, another reason to have a party. Um, they were here, we did a ruck, we had beers, um, and we just planned a day of fun around them. So we're a very welcoming crew. Um, they can get in touch with our Facebook page. Um, they can direct message either of us, Instagram, anything just say, hey, we're here, and we want to come train with you. And if we don't have a regular training session, we'll probably set one up because 
that's what we do here. But in answering your other question about how best to get in contact with us, um, yeah, there's a couple different ways. Our Facebook page is closed. We tend to keep it as a closed group because we really want that to be people who are actually focused on what it is we're doing. Uh, but anyway, we can be contacted on Facebook at Tokyo Hikyaku, which is H-I-K-Y-A-K-U, Tokyo Hikyaku Ruckers, um, is, is a great way to find us there, or um, through our email address, tokyoruckers at gmail.com. Um, and we would love to have any visitors come on in and, and do a training with us, do an event with us or more. Next year is the 2020 Olympics, and it'll be held in Tokyo. So another great time to come on out and have some fun with us. That's perfect. And I just double-checked. If someone's listening and they want to get in contact, I'm going to put the links in the show notes so you can jump there. But also, if you're on Facebook and you just search Tokyo Records, you're number one. Oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, thank you, too. Thank you so much for taking all this time out of your day. No, thank you. I appreciate this. Not at all. I would absolutely appreciate talking with you and all of your listeners as well. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to catch up with you in a year's time or so once we've gotten a couple of heavies out of the way and a bunch of different star courses as well. And uh, Are you coming out to Tokyo? I would love to. We'll see if it happens. You got a place to, you got a place to stay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. That'd be an amazing place to do an event. Well, we, we certainly enjoy it. We have a great time and would love to welcome you and, uh, and any of your listeners that come out and join us. Um, and if not here, then we look forward to seeing you at an event somewhere stateside. Or in Normandy. Or in Normandy, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the All Day Rock Off podcast. This has been episode number 119. Again, truly appreciate Tokyo Hikyaku Rockers for being on this episode. It was a ton of fun talking to them, and I'm just so glad that this all worked out. If you're interested in anything we talked about during the episode, you can check out the show notes, alldayruckoff.com slash 119. All the info should be right there. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the All Day Rock Off podcast, there's a couple ways to do that. For free, you can leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. Just search for All Day Rock Off. If you want to support the podcast financially, you can go through the All Day Rock Off online store, alldayrockoff.com slash store, or support through Patreon, patreon.com slash alldayrockoff. There's a couple bonuses and special pieces of content if you support that way as well. Again, thank you so much for all the support and for downloading this. I truly appreciate it. If you ever want to reach out to me, you can send me an email, brian, spelled B-R-I-A-N, at alldayruckoff.com, or just use the alldayruckoff.com contact page. It was a ton of fun talking with THR, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thank you for the support, and as always, don't forget... Attitude is everything, keep yours positive, and drink hard, rock harder.